0: Standard of Paranormal Radio.
1: Last week, we debuted our second show called After the Paracast. And what that is, is kind of a special wrap-up show or a show where we kind of sit back and take our shoes off and talk about anything under the sun. And it's available strictly to people who subscribe to the Paracast Plus. you would learn more if you go to plus.theparacast.com. Of course, our main event there is the ad-free version of the Paracast and it's very cheap to subscribe five dollars a month equivalent to what a frappuccino or is that a small frappuccino Chris
2: anything in Starbucks uh it's got to be a small frappuccino. I think would be the appropriate term five
1: bucks okay yeah or, all right certainly I think we're worth more than a frappuccino or whatever Chris wants to call it. Or fifty dollars a year plus dotheparacast dot com plus dotthepowercast dot com. And each week we can't tell you what's gonna happen when we do after the paracast because we figure it out based on what the show is we're doing that particular week. There we go. You know, just before we had our introduction here, Chris was getting a phone call and I noticed that his ringtone is "Jumpin' jack flash by the rolling stones now on my iphone my ringtone is hello goodbye by the beatles which i think is appropriate for a ringtone but i also wonder about the mindset why someone chooses one ringtone over another no psychic phenomena involved so chris <laughs> is it just that you pick this thing at random or is there some feeling involved in choosing that particular oh, ringtone
2: well there's there's a bit of a story there gene i um I've been asked, you know, be, being a musician uh, on and off for 30 plus years, I've, you know, invariably somebody will ask me, what's your favorite song? And I could never answer that because I have so many, It, you know, kind of depends on my mood. And then one day, I think it was 2003, um, I was watching TV and I think it was a Cadillac commercial. I'm not sure, but some car commercial came on. And the, the background music was Jumping Jack Flash, and I went ballistic. I went absolutely nuts, and I, I realized that I was so I was so dismayed that Keith Richards and Mick Jagger would sell out and use that allow that song to be used for a commercial. Then all of a sudden, I realized it was my favorite song. So the short answer is it's my favorite song. <laughs> and it took you, what, 30 years to figure this out? Yeah, well, I have lots of favorite songs, um, but
1: that one I think is, I would consider that my favorite song, yeah. I don't think Hello, Goodbye is mine. I think one of my favorite songs is While My Guitar Gently Weeps, the George Harrison song for the Beatles' White Album. Mm -hmm. I think it's one of my favorites right there. I think part of the reason is that I once played guitar many years ago in a faraway galaxy. So that's where that stands. Speaking of music, by the way, you did the themes that we're going to use for after the Paracast, and you gave me five. And what we did last week is we used door number three of the five. But if you go to our forums at forum.theparacast.com, that's forum.theparacast.com, you can choose which theme you like best. And then we'll use that for after the Paracast. We already have our introduction from our friend Bob Zanotti for that particular show. After the Paracast, members of Paracast Plus. Also, there is some discussion in our forums whether we should have a printed or written transcript of each episode. Now, that's obviously very difficult to do. There are services who do that kind of thing. So we're going to decide whether we offer it as a separate item because there's obviously a cost involved, whether we roll it into the PowerCast Plus, whether we have a PowerCast Plus Plus, or whether we just get volunteers. So we haven't decided. What's your take, Chris, about transcriptions? Well, you know, I've, I'm,
2: I'm not really sure, um, you know, how useful they will be. Although, you know, one part of me, um, you know, understands you know, the, the importance of, of documenting some of the guests that we have on the show and some of the claims that are made and whatnot. And, and it would be an invaluable research tool, but it's an awful lot of work having done a transcript of the, one of the first shows that I was a uh, host uh, co-host on, which was the round mutilation roundtable, I did the, uh, transcript uh to pull sections out for for my book stocking the herd and and it's very difficult sometimes to uh to do transcripts based on the quality of the connection you know just fumbling around sometimes you can't really understand a word here or a word there it's it's difficult but but again, I do have you know two friends that are professional transcribers, so it would be to have it done properly and by by someone expert in that that sort of thing. Uh, it it could be, it could be a little expensive. So I'm not sure. I'm I'm still kind of debating that that whole uh, scenario. I'm not really sure. You know, would we need to get permission, for instance, from guests to uh, to offer a transcribed version of you know? It, it does get into some legal uh gray areas as well so i'm not sure we'd have to do a little bit more research on this and, and determine whether it's uh it's
1: feasible or not well aside from the legalities the thing i wonder about there is if you agree to be on the radio and someone's hearing your voice you can't stop somebody from independently yeah, writing that's it down true. that's sure. true yeah it is it does become kind of public domain at that point right the show is not public domain of course but what people say i don't know I will have to talk to a lawyer about that. I assume if they go on the show, they expect somebody's going to write it down. And we'll have to see where we take that. But it's an interesting concept. And I agree with you about just trying to do an accurate transcription. I know back in the days when I had that magazine with Geneva called Caveat Mtor, I would do interviews of personalities that never get interviewed in the UFO or paranormal fields. And I would do a tape-recorded interview, just as I did on radio. And then I would transcribe it for the magazine. And that was one royal pain, even like a 10, 20, 30-minute interview, to have to write that down, to have to listen to a passage over and over. What did I say? What did Richard Shavers say? What did Jim Mosley say? What did Tim Beckley say? These are all the people that I interviewed in those days. And I had to get everything right. You know, Sometimes, of course, when you're you're transcribing it and you're putting it into print, you make minor, very minor edits, and it depends on what your point of view is about the precision of those edits. But I really don't want to ever do that again. So I think if somebody wanted to transcribe the Paracast, well, of course, if they think they're in it for the bucks, they've come to the wrong show. But, you know, we'll explore it. And maybe we'll talk more about that in after the Paracast in future episodes. In any case, our guest today... Is somebody has been on the show before, several times. And he's a co-author of Left at Eastgate. He's investigated the Rendlesham case. He's investigated UFO abductions. He was very close with the late Bud Hopkins. And he has a new book out now, which is being distributed free, courtesy of Phenomena magazine. And we've got a link back in the forums where the questions are being posed for Peter Robbins are based. It's called Special Report, Deliberate Deception, A Case of Disinformation in the UFO Research Community. That's a seven-part book, by the way. And right now it's free. I don't know where that's going to take it. It's got a extra section there from Colin Andrews, of course, who's done a lot of work with regard to crop circles this is a fascinating piece of work and the fact is here is that he is giving this to the paranormal research community i think is kind of extraordinary because it represents a lot of work on the part of peter robbins and i want to understand that even before we get into the conclusions about what he has to say and we do have some questions from our listeners to voice so this is going to be one of the Fascinating episodes, most fascinating episodes we presented on the Paracast. And once again, if you want to hear the ad free version and subscribe to the Paracast Plus, and also hereafter the Paracast as a result, go to plus.theparacast.com, plus.theparacast.com. With Gene and with Chris, you're in the Paracast. Yeah.
4: We all have our own idea about what being safe and secure means. The doors locked, bills are paid, you've got a job that keeps the lights on, and a home to call your own. But what happens when Mother Nature throws a curveball? I'm telling you to yes,
5: take cover.
4: cover. Are you prepared to live without electricity or passable roads for weeks at a time? Do you even have a plan B? If you do. Are you willing to bet your life on it?
6: Children left with no
7: homes. And no one's coming to help them. them.
4: The first step towards self-reliance in the face of disaster is a visit to MyPatriotSupply.com. There you'll find the absolute best prices on storable foods, non-GMO seeds, emergency water filtration devices, and so much more. All orders over $49 qualify for free shipping in the lower 48 states. Call 866-229-0927. That's 866-229-0927. And speak to one of our preparedness advisors today or visit us at mypatriotsupply.com. Remember, before it's time to survive, it's time to prepare.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast
1: community forums at forum.theparacast.com. So maybe the aliens are responsible for the fact that Peter Robbins was unable to to get his Skype connection to work with us. Peter, do you think it's a secret plot by the powers that be?
9: No, I think it's um, uh, uh, my uh, computer idiocy uh, with, with very little mystery involved.
1: Well, don't put yourself down here.
9: Well, I'm I'm a bit of a computer idiot, so um, I accept full responsibility without any uh, dark entanglements or conspiratorial aspects.
2: (laughs) I'm a computer illiterate. (laughs) Welcome
1: to the club. See, I, I kind of feel strange here. Because I'm always called upon to solve the world's problems with computers. Anyway, <laughs> so you uh, met up with Chris at this conference at Travis Walton. Indeed. Held very recently. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, it's,
9: um, um, it took place uh, about a month ago in. A fairly uh, remote part of Arizona. It was important to Travis that the venue be as close as realistically possible to where the events of November 1975 occurred. Having worked with Travis for several years irregularly and um, over this past year fairly constantly as part of the team to bring it together um, it was something of a challenge to um, get all the logistics together but I thought it was a wonderful lineup of speakers it was uh, very moving quite an emotional conference um, a very good connection between the audience and, and those making their presentations and um, we will certainly be having it next year which will be the 40th and anniversary of the event, and thereafter, all things being equal, it will become an annual conference.
1: Fast question here about this, Peter. Is it still going to be in that small town in Arizona, or will you go to some place I can drive to without going through the mountains?
9: Yeah, Um, that has not been finalized yet, and again, uh, we've got a year to do this. So I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, if it is in the same general area, it may or may not be in the exact location or, say, within half an hour in um, an area that's a, a bit more conventional, you know, like a, a hotel complex rather than uh, where we work. Hasn't been decided yet.
1: Now, one of the questions I wondered about here is when we're talking about people like Travis Walton, who are UFO abductees, since the death of Bud Hopkins, Mm -hmm. I haven't heard too much activity on the abduction front. So what's happening with the research and how are they going to carry on what he did because all the stuff that he accumulated over the years? Yes.
9: First, let me say... um, And not to parse words here, but um, Travis's event is kind of in a place by itself. Travis is not what we would call an abductee if one defines it as somebody who has had these experiences from early childhood on as really the profile demands. Travis seems to have been at the wrong place at the wrong time. And this was very much an isolated event in his life. For any of your listeners that are not familiar with it, very briefly, he was a professional logger for his whole life. And um, he and the crew that he was working with as they finished um, a shift, and it was getting dark, saw a glow in the distance. Um, Being very attuned to the area, they thought there was a chance it might be a forest fire and headed for it. And of course, it was not a forest fire. It was a fully articulated disc-shaped object hanging over this clearing in the woods. And he very impulsively, um, as he is the first to admit, got out and went right out under it, much to the uh, upset of his uh, colleagues who were screaming for him to get back in the truck. And at a certain moment, um, he realized perhaps he had done the wrong thing and moved To get back. Now, whether or not what happened next was some kind of function of a super intelligent machine on its own, or the press of a button or what have you, of the occupants, he was struck by what all agree was a blue bolt of light or energy that threw him up to 15 feet. And when he landed, There was either smoke or steam coming off of him, and he was not moving. And they took off, stopped very shortly after to scream at each other and uh, decide what the hell to do. And they went back. He was gone. And that began the search for his... Body or his self, and the entanglement with local law enforcement. But not to digress, um, Bud, we lost Bud in August of 2011. And of course, uh, for those of us who were friends and close colleagues, it was an irreplaceable loss. Bud was arguably the father of scientific study of the abduction phenomena. All of his records. All of his uh, many hundreds of tape recordings of interviews and regressive hypnotic sessions are with his close friend and very close colleague, Dr. David Jacobs, who is now a retired uh, professor of history from Temple University in Philadelphia. And um, David continues his own work, of course. But there are people continuing the work in their own way, but we're talking about the loss of a real giant here and the best-known figure in the world associated with the work. Of course, we lost Dr. John Mack to a very drunken driver in 2004, and um, I don't know if we will have another individual of his caliber or dedication to come along and completely focus in on this. We do have, uh, among others, Kathleen Martin, who um, I I think is certainly as respected, if not the most respected specialist in this area right now, Uh, another remarkable um, woman who Kathleen has actually um, worked with, um, who lives in Florida, um, and I'm just blanking for a moment here, I think she was on the show
1: with Kathleen like a couple of years back. Kathleen's going to be back on the Paracast in the near future, but the cut to the chase here, I wanted to... It's Denise
9: Denise Stoner who um, co-wrote a book called The Abduction Files, and it's an outstanding book. It came out last year with Kathleen
1: Denise was on with Kathleen at the right. time the book came out. It was one of our better episodes about this. we were very happy to have them. Well,
9: they're two extremely smart and dedicated women, no question about it.
1: I'm always happy to talk to Kathleen. But I also wonder here, when we talk about abductions, and we're going to split for the segment in just a moment, but sure. the thing that always bothers me is we have a little bit or of excessive emotionalism, as you know, about Bud Hopkins and David Jacobs. Mm -hmm. and I don't want to mention the sources. We all know who they are. And I realize that nobody's above criticism, and this will be a question we can bring up in our next segment. Mm -hmm. Why we're getting this emotionalism and why we are getting these personal attacks about people like that. I think if someone has a legitimate criticism to make about someone's research, that could be focused in a pretty responsible fashion because we're all here to try to learn about what's going on. But if it becomes fodder for flame wars, well, that's another thing. We'll get into more of that in a moment. Peter Robbins is joining Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast.
4: We are the premier independent talk radio network, the Genesis Communications Network,
10: GCN. Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies, paranormal activity, and Freudian phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions.
11: What looks good under your Christmas tree and tastes even better? Big Berkey water filters. Yes, the gift of clean water. A gift that provides a great foundation for achieving good health in the lives of your loved ones. A Big Berkey water filter gives them protection from bacteria, heavy metals, chlorine, fluoride, pesticides and herbicides, VOCs and more. And best of all, a Big Berkey water filter is a gift that lasts for many years with no additional investment. And that saves time and money in filter replacements that other water filters require and are even powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water. As always, all orders over $50 are shipped free, and GCN listeners get 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Order online at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. Spelled Big, B-E-R-K-E-Y, WaterFilters.com. Or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's 877-99-B-E-R-K-E-Y. Gift well this Christmas. Give a Big Berkey water filter.
12: I'm Kay Swirling from KSCO Radio in Santa Cruz. I'm 93 years old, and I'm a big fan of Alex Jones because he has the courage to speak his mind more than just about anyone I know. Alex is just as bothered as I am about all the advertising you hear for toxic prescription drugs that make you sicker, not healthy. I would prefer to give my body all 90 essential nutrients it needs for life to prevent disease not compounded. My favorite complete supplement is Beyond Tangy Tangerine from Young which I take every day along with EFA Plus and Beyond OsteoFX. I recommend you go online to InfoWarsTeam.com to purchase these products and make them part of your daily regimen to get healthy and live longer. InfoWarsTeam.com.
10: This is Jerome Clark,
1: author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books.
10: You're listening to the Paracast.
1: So, with Gene and Chris, we're talking to Peter Robbins, who, of course, has been involved in abduction research for a long time co-author of left at eastgate with larry warren and we'll be getting into this new book that he has out which is deliberate deception a case of disinformation in the ufo research community we'll focus a lot on that but i wanted to get into some of these other subjects and bring us up to date so why the flame wars about abductions i mean it's already a frightening enough event whatever you think caused it whatever explanation you ascribe to it, we have people who are just scared to death of what happened to them, and then we take people who are trying to sort things out, and rather than treat it as something to discuss responsibly, it becomes bait for attacks. Yes.
9: Well, if you're asking me, from my fairly privileged position over the years of working at Bud's side for probably close to 20 years on and off of our 35 year friendship. I think part of the problem here is very human and rather sad, which is uh, a certain amount of jealousy and ego coming in. I think also, as you say, um, fear of the event, um, of this kind of event, which can exacerbate itself and over theatricalize. Um, the fact is that. Even after all these years, if you were to ask me, you know, what's the story about this? What's actually going on? Why is it going on? The best I can do, Gene, is, is make An educated guess, Uh, maybe a better educated guess than somebody who is a casual observer or uninformed, but I I wouldn't presume to know. What I would say is definitely um, a fact, for some will sound like science fiction, but is anything but. Namely that we're not alone, duh, that there are either a group within these other intelligences or more than one group that take human beings, examine them, um, follow them throughout a good portion of their lives, return them. And depending on, I guess, the attitude, the outlook, the background of the individual, that individual may live in a certain amount of anxiety or concern about the next event. They may live um, in the very well-chosen title of... um, David Jacobs' first book on the subject, Secret Life, live very keyed to the fact that ridicule has been brilliantly attached to the subject of taking UFOs seriously in general and certainly in specific about the abduction phenomenon and live basically in the hopes that nobody will find out about this or they will feel that they'll be excised from their community or be looked upon as mentally ill or what have you. I think that we have dealt with a number of people who have attacked both Bud and Dave because they may be mentally unbalanced or they may be incredibly jealous or see the situation as, as so unexplainable and so frustrating that they will attack the messenger rather than do a careful analysis of the best research on the subject, and certainly some of that has been generated over the decades by um, Bud Hopkins and Dave Jacobs, and from a somewhat different point of view by Dr. John Mack. I will say, because people have over the years asked me, from my point of view, why Bud and Dave's attitude toward the phenomena seemed so negative and Dr. Mack's seemed positive. What I observed and discussed with all three of them over the years was overwhelmingly the people who presented to Bud Hopkins and Dave Jacobs from the get-go were people who were traumatized by the events they went through. On the other hand, John Mack, who by the time he got involved in the work in the early 90s, had pretty much given up on the Western philosophical model. His attention had long before turned to the East, and what he was looking for, actively searching for, was positive transcendence, positive experiences, growth-related experiences among people that had had these events. All three of these guys I see as humanists, people who care about people. Uh, John, of course, was a highly respected psychiatrist who taught at Harvard and was co-founder of the psychiatric wing of Cambridge Hospital, where I had the honor to speak in the late 90s with him um, before an audience. And John was simply less interested. He was not uncompassionate, but he was less interested in dealing with people who had been traumatized by this and much more actively interested in getting the accounts and trying to find a commonality among folks who had reported positive.
1: So therefore, it's not so much that they are attracting a specific category of abductees, but they're focusing their research on specific things. So Dr. Mack, therefore, may not be getting the less positive items to research because he didn't focus on it, even though they may bring those cases to him?
9: What I'm saying is, in Dr. Mack's case, he was um, very upfront about the fact that his primary interest was in finding, documenting, and, and trying to look more deeply into the positive aspects of the experience with bud and dr jacobs these were simply the overwhelming preponderance of the kinds of accounts of people who approach them
1: so the point um, they, being here is and this is one of the arguments made so maybe we can bring it to the mm-hmm. table were they therefore attracting the more negative cases because that's what they focused on or is someone who is encountering a set of negative experiences more apt to want to seek help? Where does it go?
9: Well, again, I have to, and, and I want to say this as clearly as possible, I never observed or had any sense that Bud was, you know, putting out a message there that he was not interested in, no, wrong way to say it. These were the people that came to Bud, people who were having problems adjusting or dealing with the experience. And I guess kind of de facto, as he became known to focus in on that, more people that had had experiences that they were not dealing with well approached Bud, where, because John, on the other hand, was was very upfront about the fact that he was looking for people who had had positive experiences to help him understand that more, that, yes, he tended to get the positive cases after a fashion where Bud and Dave continued to get cases of people who were having a real problem with
1: this. Now, looking at the overall picture, then, can we say that most people who have what they regard as abductions are having some sort of negative response to it?
9: Well, let me put it this way. Um, the way that most of us grew up here in the Western world, uh, whether from families where we grew up in a religious atmosphere or totally secular, nothing prepared us even for the idea of this kind of experience. And so... For most people, I I think it's fair to say in the Western world, if to give an archetype, if you find yourself waking up in the middle of the night, seeing light coming from under your door, a glow at the far end of your bed, and several non-human beings, and you then find that you're unable to move, and you find yourself rising out of bed and either being floated through the ceiling or through a plate glass window into a craft, for lack of a better term, it is a traumatic experience. It's not, oh, good, they're here. Welcome to Space Brothers. I can't wait for this event. It's very upsetting. I think that's how I'd react if I had no background in this. And you know what? If I did have a background in it, I think it would be upsetting to me.
1: I have to tell you something, Peter, and that is I would never want to bring upon that experience if i had the power to do so i wouldn't want it to happen i mean there are people who say gee if there's an et I out know. there i'd love to be able to talk <laughs> to them let's let's get into more <laughs> careful what you wish for with gene and chris you're in the pericast
13: If not, cancel and pay nothing.
8: Ever need direction or guidance? the light like to have a quick source of insight and inspiration ask the light would you like an easy way to spread kindness in this crazy world ask the light ask the light miracle cards from ask were created in the aftermath of a true miracle beautiful underwater photography capturing the dance of water and light are combined with inspirational words to create the 53 card deck of ask the light miracle cards in a custom easy carry box ask the light miracle cards speak directly to your heart and opens you to everyday miracles spread some kindness by giving a card away it's a great way to connect with people these cards bring blessings to all that experience them experience the many benefits for yourself visit askthelight.com to enjoy early holiday specials buy one deck for 1850 or two for 30 dollars they make great gifts for friends and family too ask the light miracle cards at askthelight.com
13: Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the
10: Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri?
1: Would you want to wish to be contacted by E.T.? If they are the kind of people who abduct you in the night, certainly I wouldn't want that to happen. Well, you
2: know, there are other you know uh, investigator researcher types out there that that have attracted all sorts of positive benevolent space brother accounts uh, Barbara Lamb for sure. instance uh Dol- Dolores Cannon probably the great granddaddy of of hypnotic regression and abduction research Dr. Leo Sprinkle mm-hmm. he attracted uh, a wide variety of cases but uh towards the end uh, I think he and his wife tended to focus more on the on the more transcendental or transcendent types of uh, experiencers um, who seem to be getting some sort of positive reinforcement through their view of their alleged events. <laughs> we may be dealing with a little bit of Heisenberg uh, uncertainty principle here, and the, the, you know. The very fact of observing something sort of changes it, and in a in a sense, it may attract the kind of cases that seem to fall into uh, the observer effect of a foregone conclusion.
9: Now, I, I have to agree with Chris in that, uh, and again, we can superimpose our own mechanisms or meanings or, or uh, implications on this. But you're absolutely right, of course, um, and you've named several researchers who have, um, well, more or less specialized in positive uh, kinds of events. Now, is that the result of an entirely different kind of being, abducting, or is it possibly the result of what we superimpose on the experience? I remember... Many years ago, and I couldn't tell you where I got the statistic from if my life depended on it, but it was simply that somebody had done an informal study, might have been Dr. James Harder years ago, on people who had claimed to have abduction experiences in the state of California. And what the statistic reflected, not surprisingly, was those who um, claimed to be following a Buddhist path. found the event less traumatic. They were living their lives in a way of putting acceptance and change first rather than anxiety about the unknown. Is this something that we bring with us or something that is part and parcel of the experience? I'm sure that you guys have come in contact with people who, like me, have had decidedly positive and decidedly negative events and in a few cases that I'm aware of come away very conflicted. I I remember, of course, like all of us, that wonderful poster that hung in uh, Fox Mulder's office, uh, that iconic I Want to Believe poster, and I have come upon people who have given me detailed accounts of being absolutely terrified and then something very akin to love in another incident and want very much to believe this is a very positive experience, even though they have had very negative experiences in context. Again, we superimpose, I think, a lot of our own thoughts, beliefs, concerns, fears, anxieties, uh, longings on this experience. I will say once again, though, for your average Judeo Christian, Westerner, complete agnostic, or person of faith to have that archetypical experience, it is not part of anything that we were raised to understand was a possibility. And superimposed on that, the ridicule that has brilliantly attached itself, and that's not an accident, to the idea of taking ufo's and their implications seriously going back to 1947 and the ridicule that's attached it is something that most people would not want you know everybody that they know to know about
1: well the thing i'm trying to focus on here then is the layer that we're putting on the experience mm-hmm. how close to the actual experience are we understanding to happen on the basis of the eyewitness testimony we get that's the question, a big question, and there's some dispute over that. Is that a literal interpretation of the event? It's E.T.? We talk about screen memories, for example, that Correct. I guess supposedly E.T. puts this screen memory in our minds so we don't see what really happened. And then somehow we probe below the surface and we see they had this horrifying abduction experience. But what if that experience, the abduction, is itself a screen memory for something else that we do not understand at all?
9: Well, that's a good question, and I don't know how to answer it. The fact is that something is going on, and it's very real. And let's remind our listeners here that the information to back this up is certainly a great deal more than anecdotal or witness-oriented. Over the decades, I've been privy to the records were appropriate and were allowed of a mental health professional or a physician who was working with the individual and family histories, multiple witnesses, testimony corroborating the events from a spouse or a parent or a sibling or a neighbor that night that, you know, gee, that I claim to have been abducted. All the electricity went out in the neighborhood, and there was a big burn mark on the lawn. Uh, After that, when I went for a CAT scan, there's this little square, tiny thing, you know, two inches into my brain that couldn't have gotten there, or, you know, the scarification, these marks that appear on people, some of them like tiny little scoops, like a tiny, tiny miniature ice cream scoop that seems self-quarterized, and that wasn't there when you went to bed that is there the next day or corroborating a memory when little Johnny just was missing from the 4th of July picnic and everybody panicked and the police came in and they found him on his tricycle under an apple tree four miles away with little Mark on his body and none the worse for wear. There is a great deal of supporting real world evidence here as well as people making these reports per se.
1: So where do we go with this? Is there ever going to be a solution or are we going to be confronted with thousands of reports of possible abductions with no resolution?
9: Well, we're already um, facing many, many thousands, if not tens of thousands, of such reports worldwide going back decades. There's a wild card here, which is this hybrid phenomenon. We have many accounts that suggest very strongly that part of what's going on here, part of the taken syndrome is to remove ovum and sperm, and that there are these beings being created who are part us and part them. The answer may lie with this hybrid phenomena. I mean, how many are there? What are they doing? Where are they? My best sense, and it was not a subject or an idea that I I liked. In fact, I was very uncomfortable with it when it was first presented to me, and I started to see evidence of its reality that some of these beings, look very strange. If you saw one on a street, it would be very upsetting. Where others could pass completely for a regulation issue, you know, human being. What are they about? Perhaps we are getting to a point where the next card will be played, where they will make themselves known. I don't know. I think that, you know, originally when people talked about this, the euphemism was they're experimenting. Well, I don't think that's the case at all. There is a program, in effect, as real as, say, if the three of us were research biologists specializing in some mammal forms that, you know, got us up to a job in, say, uh, northern Canada wilderness where we were trying to uh, document some otter that, you know, might be uh, going into extinction. And harmlessly catching them, painlessly catching them in a a pain-free trap, calming them down with perhaps a a sedative, spray painting a number on their back, putting a collar on them, and then letting them go and tracking them. And they wander back into otter society and in so many otter words, so you're never going to guess what happened to me. And, you know, they Fellow otters look at it and see what's that strange thing around your neck, and you smell funny, and your eyes look weird, and what's that number, that thing painted on your back?
2: Yeah, and 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 the disbelievers that say that's utterly ridiculous. How could you think that?
1: exactly, and shame on you. I wish I thought of that. That's the worst pun of the year, folks. But the otter phenomenon, are the human beings the otters? Are we being watched by some sophisticated... Some sophisticated... (laughs) rfd methodology i don't know i think if they were following me they get bored very quickly chris on the other hand wow (laughs) we have peter robbins with gene and chris you're in the pericast
4: A little left, but always independent minded. The Genesis Communications Network, GCN.
8: Mom, I can't do my math
17: homework. I just don't get it. I hate math.
7: (sighs) I've always tried to be a good mother, but when it came to Jamie's math, I was at a loss. Then a friend told me about Math Made Easy DVDs. Concepts are simplified in an easy way to follow and review, and students can learn at their own pace in the convenience of home. Listen, in the frustration. Call Math Made Easy. Call now, 1-800-USA-MATH. That's 1-800-872-6284. Or visit us at mathmadeeasy.com.
8: Mom, I can't do my math homework.
7: I just don't get it. I hate math. (sighs) I've always tried to be a good mother, but when it came to Jamie's math, I was at a loss. Then a friend told me about Math Made Easy DVDs. Concepts are simplified in an easy way to follow and review, and students can learn at their own pace in the convenience of home. Listen, in the frustration. Call Math Made Easy. Call now, 1-800-USA-MATH. That's 1-800-872-6284. Or visit us at mathmadeeasy.com. On Facebook,
8: on the news, and in conversations with friends, we're bombarded every day with advice on how to be healthier, from gluten-free and non-GMO diets to how much exercise and sleep the body needs. But how much have you heard about alkalizing the body? AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops are a holistic and natural way to get your body's pH levels back in balance. Just a few drops in water will help your body rid itself of harmful waste, and even the healthiest of diets can be complemented with your daily use of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops. Who isn't looking for more vibrance, vigor, and energy? Now buy two bottles of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops and get $10 off your order. Visit Alcavision.com or call 800-518-7615. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops are packed with a powerful combination of the most alkaline minerals and compounds. Open the door to greater health, vitality, and zest for life. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health.
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene
1: Steinberg. Yes, I just wonder if E.T. having abducted Chris when he was very young. And Chris, you did have, frankly, some experiences
2: early on. No, uh, singular. One experience to to my uh, conscious knowledge.
1: To your conscious knowledge, would you think that was an abduction experience then? No. Okay. I I would hope not. I was kind of missing there
2: for a while uh, until my sister found me, but I don't have any conscious recollection of uh, being taken anywhere. Although I did have a case that was referred to me by a county sheriff that was absolutely a mind blower. Um, Again, this is one of those cases where a female abductee fell in love with her abductors. And it was kind of a cosmic sort of Stockholm syndrome. She said that uh, he was a great lover and uh, she especially liked it when he dressed up in his gold to cape because he looked like Elvis.
9: Wow. <laughs> I never got a case like that. <laughs>
2: Yeah, uh, it's pretty interesting. She had uh, quite a bit of tantalizing evidence about a missing pregnancy uh, that occurred uh, just just as she was entering a third trimester. A very amazing case. Uh, I dovetailed some of her journal entries of some of her uh, claims uh, when these incidences uh, allegedly occurred. And sure enough, on that side of uh, the San Luis Valley, we did have uh, other reports of unusual lights, that sort of thing, similar to what you described earlier. So I, I, I don't throw this whole thing out uh, by any stretch. There is, I think, something at the core of this. I think it is in my own personal appraisal of all this uh, tends to be a little bit more conservative. I, I, I do think that we're dealing with something that is, is hiding behind the appearance of an abduction, and, and as Gene brought up earlier, uh, there that just may be some sort of screen memory that there might be something, something more to it. This whole idea that's been promoted by uh, Melinda Leslie, Stephen Greer, and others that uh, our own military may be behind a number of these, if not a sizable percentage of these cases, is also something that shouldn't be discounted.
1: What's your take about that, Peter? Before we get into the subject of that book of yours, what do you think yeah. about the possibility that the military? may have been involved in at least some abduction-type experiences.
9: Well, I try to take the point of view that who are any of us to categorically say what is or isn't here? I object tremendously to Dr. Greer's putting forward regularly the idea that all quote-unquote bad or negative abductions are military-related abductions. Why? Because Dr. Greer knows for a fact that all extraterrestrials or other intelligences are good. For me, that is the height of intellectual arrogance, unprovable. You know, I mean, it's nonsense. It is an area, I have to say, that I have only looked into peripherally. And as such, I don't have a fully formed opinion of it. Um, And I'm not trying to weasel out here. I just don't know. Certainly the military mindset can be pretty damn devious. I, I wouldn't discount it, but I think it's relied on tremendously by people who have become very attached to it as a point of view. For the more than 30 years I've been in this work, I have followed a few simple rules, which is whenever I enter into a new investigation and it can be one like the Rendlesham Forest incident, which was a dedicated nine years and then following up another 16 years of focused interest, or just sitting with somebody in a hotel lobby that wants to relate something that's very important to them to you, that I go in without any agenda. I think that a lot of my colleagues do have an absolute belief or specific point of view or a pet theory that overtly or covertly they want to prove or validate or have recognized... I will follow the evidence wherever it goes and then do my best to lay it out for anybody interested in, in reading about it or hearing about it as objectively as I'm capable of. So I'm always open to any possibility, no matter how remote it might seem. That's
2: called intellectual uh, honesty, as opposed to selective thinking and putting blinders on and being intellectually dishonest by throwing data out.
9: Well, I'm doing my best to do that, and I do occasionally irritate um, readers or listeners or people in the field by being very careful to parse what I absolutely know and could prove in a court of law with the evidence that I've collected to what I absolutely believe is the case, but can't prove to what I think or fear or wonder about. And I think sometimes folks in the field tend to jumble that information together or to present what they believe or long for or hope is the case as fact, as opposed Mm -hmm. to what I believe or hope for or long for.
1: Hey, this is a good way for us to segue into this book of yours which is seven parts pdf version of a book over at phenomena magazine yes okay and we have the link in our forums at forum.thepowercast.com we will have the link in our announcement for this episode so you can get yourself a copy and see what he's talking about and i'll give you the title again it's deliberate deception a case of disinformation in the ufo research community with an epilogue by Colin Andrews, who's been on the Paracast too. So let's start at the beginning, cut to the chase, Peter Robbins. What is that case of disinformation that we're talking about in this book?
9: Okay, first, it is a book. That the nice folks at Phenomena Magazine felt was so important that they decided to publish for me online because I had decided, in a very impractical but idealistic way, that I did not want to profit from the seven hundred or so hours I spent on it because I knew some yachts was going to accuse me of being in it for the money. So I basically bit the bullet and made it available to every reader who wanted to for free. They call it a special report, I call it a book. And to cut to the chase and try to give his capsule and accurate an idea of what this is, many people know um, of my involvement as an investigative writer in England's uh, best-known and best-documented incident, the Rendlesham Forest UFO uh, incident, which is actually a series of events that occurred over three consecutive nights Between Christmas and New Year's of 1980, the book that Larry Warren and I wrote on the subject, Left at Eastgate, went on to become a smash bestseller in the United Kingdom and really changed a number uh, of perceptions about the subject in general, more specifically the events that occurred in Suffolk. Last year, my colleague Gary Hasseltine, who you know, Gary is a now retired Yorkshire police detective and a specialist in forensic evidence in UFO-related incidents. He also publishes a good bi-monthly magazine that is available online called UFO Truth Magazine. And I'm their American representative, and I write a regular column for them since they started. Anyway, about a year ago, Gary asked me if I would be interested when the new book, there was a new book we were expecting by the two first-night witnesses, was published if rather than write a column and I choose whatever subject I want, that I would devote that month to a review of the new book. And I said, certainly. He came back at me um, in a very um, insightful way and said, I know that these witnesses have arrayed themselves to a degree against Larry Warren. I, like you, believe that uh, their former deputy base commander has done his best for decades now to drive a wedge between these three key witnesses and that, you know, there's no love lost between you and them. But the third author, who is now part of the project, uh, is Nick Pope, who is a longtime friend and close colleague of yours. And I made it very clear to Gary that I I would review the book and would do so with as much objectivity as possible, going out of my way, if anything, to um, praise them and bring attention to what I felt were positive aspects of the book. And so... This past March, uh, I got myself an advanced copy of the book and began to read it. Uh, The book is called Encounter in Rendlesham Forest. And um, I forget the exact subtitle, but it's appropriate to the book.
1: Let me just My- do our break here and tell our listeners yeah. it's Encounter in Rendlesham Forest. And we had Nick Pope and John Burroughs on the Paracast on May 25th of this year. We mm-hmm. have Peter Robbins with us now with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. <laughs>
18: Call me at 1-800-686-2237, extension 116. That's 1-800-686-2237, extension 116. Be proactive, not reactive. Call 1-800-686-2237, extension 116.
6: It's that time of year again, and you know
19: what that means, cold and flu season. (laughs) But don't worry, HerbalHealer.com has you and your loved ones covered with our safe and natural products. Cold and flu fighters like beta-glucans, olive leaf antiviral capsules, grapefruit seed extract, HHA four-herb capsules, elderberry power, and Respirate. And don't forget about oregosillin for the lungs, normally $34.95, on sale now for only $25. Vitamin D3 120-count soft gels, only $9. Whole body and homeopathic detoxes for the lungs, kidneys, liver, lymph, and brain, normally $26.95, now just $20. HerbalHealer.com also offers correspondence courses to teach you how to handle your health naturally. And as always, new customers get a free 128-page catalog with your order. Visit HerbalHealer.com and click the specials button to save on our natural cold and flu-fighting products. HerbalHealer.com, healing the world with nature, one person at a time, since 1988.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at the Paracast.com. That's news at the Paracast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums
1: at forum.theparacast.com. Okay, so we have Peter Robbins. And now he's focusing on his deliberate deception book, A Case of Disinformation in the UFO Research Community. We reached the point where you were mentioning the book that uh, Nick Pope had written with several of the people involved in the Renicham case, John Burroughs and Jim Penniston. It's subtitled The Inside Story of the World's Best Documented UFO Incident. Let's go on.
9: Well, even the title I felt was was somewhat braggadocious in that Jim and John were witnesses who were involved on the first night. There were three nights of events and sometimes several events on each night, they keep trying to give the impression that their event was the event or the key event. And in fact, it was one of a number of events. What caught me off guard, though, as I began to read the book, was first that Nick essentially wrote the book for them, which I was not prepared for. Um, We've had wonderful books written by witnesses who are not trained writers in any number of subjects, and there really is no substitute for that firsthand account of somebody experiencing something. I would point as a very good example to Fire in the Sky, which was published in 1979 and written by Travis Walton. It was not written with a ghostwriter. Travis took his time doing it as somebody without a background as a writer, and I think he did a superb job. What Nick does is he includes statements, a paragraph here or there, by Jim and John, and then they have one chapter that they write. However, my problem with the book was that as I began to read it, I saw a pattern of completely inaccurate information that was woven throughout Nick's text. And the title, Deliberate Deception, has nothing to do with Jim or John. And I want to be clear about that. It has to do with, for me, the fact that when they approached Nick about co-writing the book and helping them tell their story, he certainly did that. But he also took the opportunity to weave a thread of dishonest information throughout the book. Now, I am nothing if not specific in deliberate deception. The fact is, I recognized it as in a way that very few people would have otherwise, because I saw what I had written and what my co-author had written and alleged repeatedly taken, never credited, and then either presented in kind of a truncated or incomplete manner or a dishonest manner or presented without the facts attached to it that we include in Left at East Gate. My first thoughts were: I must be reading this wrong, or I'm, I've got an overactive imagination, or this just can't be. Um, we're talking about somebody who I counted as a friend and a close colleague. I don't know how many times I, I was a house guest of Nick's over the many years that he lived in London, or the many, you know, good personal friendship. Memories that I had. Now, I never kidded myself. I knew that he was um, a respected ranking personnel in the Ministry of Defense, um, certainly involved to a degree in intelligence and security. And even when he invited Larry and I to be his house guests for the first time with me, sight on scene, at the beginning and end of our 15 city speaking tour, we just developed what I feel was a very good and warm friendship. Now, Here's the deal. Nick and I first corresponded in 1992 when he was, in fact, in that position. And it was only two years of the 20-odd years that he was with the ministry that he occupied that desk where he was officially the person looking into UFO accounts for Her Majesty's government. I received a form letter in response to an inquiry I sent, which included the now highly discredited statement of whatever happened was of no defense significance. But what stuck with me about the form letter was he ended it by saying, and in closing, good luck to you um, with your book. Four years later, when we completed the manuscript and sold it, but still had nine months or so before it was going to be published, I reached out to him to find out if he wanted to read a copy of it. He did, and he supplied us the most glowing, brilliant, supportive blurb imaginable, the kind of thing that an author lives for.
1: Now, I am sensing, let me say this as you continue, a feeling of betrayal here at some point.
9: Well, I guess that's part of it, but yes and no. If I didn't know Nick as well as I think I do, And know that he is an old-fashioned patriot, that he loves his country, and is dedicated to the security of the United Kingdom in ways that very few people I have ever met anywhere are to their country. For example, Nick Pope is the only person I know who I am convinced would die for the Queen of England if the situation arose. And I don't mean that allegorically, you know, like a, a dedicated Secret Service person who would take a bullet for the president. He is that dedicated to his nation's security. The crux lies here. He actively helped us with his efforts, with his his celebrity, with the fact that, unasked, he reviewed our book, very positively, I might add, for the Ministry of Defense's own in-house monthly magazine. Imagine, 58,000 circulation, and you can guess some of the movers and shakers it went to. He worked very hard to help us make that book the success that it became in the United Kingdom. However, when it became that success, it proved to be very embarrassing to offices and agencies within Her Majesty's government, including the revelation, which came from Larry Warren and no one else, that there was a major treaty violation in terms of America having nuclear ordnance in England at the time. And on that base, he worked around it. Others have come forward to confirm it. Okay, John, let's get
1: into that, because that is very interesting already, because obviously the U.S. and the U.K. are bosom buddies. Mm-hmm. But obviously, there have to be treaties and agreements governing how they have bases or particular installations and how they work together. So obviously, the intelligence agencies have agreements on how they work together. So here, what was the violation? Be more specific.
9: Oh, um, yes, the. Weapons storage area at RAF Woodbridge in Suffolk, I'm sorry, RAF Bentwaters, where the men involved overwhelmingly were stationed, uh, John, Jim, and Larry included, had the largest repository of nuclear ordnance in the NATO establishment that I'm aware of. If I'm wrong, um, I'd like somebody to establish it, one person who took Larry's account very seriously, and became our greatest champion in the UK until he passed about a dozen or 15 years ago. Was Admiral Lord Peter Hill Norton. Hill Norton was a former Admiral of the Fleet, i.e. the highest-ranking naval officer in the British Navy. He went on to become the chief of the um, Ministry of Defense, um, the, uh, essentially the equivalent of a, a Colin Powell or somebody in that position in the Department of Defense. And when he retired, he became a member of Parliament. We spoke with him. I have correspondence from him. He took this very seriously, and in fact, and this is easily verifiable, and includes both in Left at escape and in deliberate deception. Well, let's go
1: into go- that. Let's go into that in our next segment, okay? You got it. All right. Peter Robbins with Gina and Chris, you're in. The Paracast.
4: Independently leading the way for the nation. Compelling talk for every political persuasion.
1: We are GCN.
4: you the receiver. With your heart racing and sweat dripping from your forehead, you finally muster the courage to dial the number to call into your favorite talk radio show. It rings once, twice, and then... Hello, it's GCN. What's your name and the state you're calling from? Surprised you got through, you squeak out. Jason from Minnesota? Please hold. As you patiently wait for your turn, you begin to daydream about being a famous talk radio host and what it would be like to have your own show.
16: Jason from Minnesota, you're up. Millions
4: of loyal listeners worldwide waiting to call and talk to you.
16: What color are you there?
4: Cheering crowds surround you, calling out your name. Jason! Jason! Going once! Twice! Jason, okay, we gotta Jason. move on to the next caller. You blew it. Huh? Wait. No! Interact with the host you're listening to right now, online at gcnlive.com. Click on the community link. Engage with other listeners. Ask questions. Start debates. Don't agree with the host? Let them know. Be a part of the community at gcnlive.com.
17: Ouch! My back is out again! Hi, Dr. Ortman with Wellspring Spinal Care. If you're experiencing neck, mid, or lower back pain, this information is for you. One of the complaints that I hear is patients receive their typical adjustment only having to repeat them as the pain returns. Putting the bones back in place is only half of the battle. At Wellspring Spinal Care, we have the entire solution. We use the NUCA approach utilizing three dimensional x rays and gentle touch technology to deliver specific correction. We then Design a custom nutritional supplement program which provides essential nutrients targeting the areas of concern. With a NUCA approach and proper nutrition, you'll be on your way to a faster and more permanent recovery. To get you on the road to wellness, visit drortman.com. That's dr o r drortman.com. Or call us today, 952 303 9124. That's 952 303 9124. Wellspring Spinal Care, Chiropractic Done Right.
12: this is leslie kane and i'm with the coalition for freedom of information and you are listening to the paracast
1: oh the tale being woven here is simply fascinating with peter robbins and the book is deliberate deception which is a free book available in seven parts and we'll get you the link from our forums and also from theparacast.com so you can get a copy continue please sir
9: What Hill Norton did was on October 28th, 1997, he walked out onto the floor of the House of Lords with his copy of the hardcover edition of Left at East Gate in hand, and went one-to-one with Lord Gilbert, who was then the Secretary for Defense, and asked him four direct questions taken out of his copy of Left at East Gate. One about the nuclear presence, one about beams of light being shown down from these unknowns into the weapons storage area, another about a suicide of one of the men who was involved as a witness. Um, I should say that Nick brings these points up in, say, his book without, again, crediting the source and then writing it up in a manner that suggests that Larry Warren was a lone wolf or the only claimant or the only person to have uh, allege a certain thing when anything could be further from the truth. This is first-rate disinformation. When I say disinformation, I mean a very skillful blending of fact, fiction and confabulation to produce a certain result, the result being. And I challenge anyone um, to read their book and not come away with this sense that whatever else their book includes, and believe me, there is bloody little because it was fully vetted by uh, censors for the Ministry of Defense and the Department of Defense. There is nothing, literally nothing new in their book, except to say that we learn that John and Jim's attorney is going after their Air Force records as well he should. Everything else, we published 17 years before that, but Hill Norton absolutely understood and took very seriously that there was this nuclear treaty violation. That, for starters, um, Nick goes out of his way to suggest that Larry Warren is the only person to um, even suggest that there was a suicide. Well, he had good cause to do it. It was his roommate. And Larry and a um, another uh, Air Force personnel were the people who were the ones to respond. When he uh, called in on his radio on a night that he was out on the tarmac guarding in a remote area and saying he couldn't take it anymore, they were the ones who found his body. Hill Norton took it very seriously, so seriously that he asked the question in Parliament. Nick dismisses it simply because he says it was a rumor, and John or Jim have no memory of it. Well, it's because it was very well covered up. For me, the most unforgivable part of this is there is a tone of almost sympathetic condescension toward Larry, poor Larry, you know, he's very upset, maybe he, um, these are all implanted memories, and I will say here, and Jim and John and Larry, I know, would be the first to support me on this, there are certain memories that each of them individually have, that they are very clear, that they are not sure whether they are implanted or actual. But after reading the book, and seeing the claims that were being made, and understanding how it was only our book that was being singled out to be dismissed, and only Larry Warren's account that was being um, looked down on as something that could not be trusted. And again, Each depiction of Larry is done in an extremely dishonest way, but skillfully. In other words, I can't even call it plagiarism, because everything he steals from our book, he twists or turns or includes in such an incomplete manner that it no longer fits the active definition of same. The other thing is, why would somebody do this? Nick is now officially retired and has been for several years. He lives in America. He's married to an American. And I want to be 100% clear here. I wish Nick Pope well. He is a nice guy. I will always have good memories of our long friendship. Um, I hope he has a a long and successful life, uh, makes lots of money, and is happy. That understood. Nick is a disinformation operative. He did the same thing to Colin Andrews some years ago. He's done it in smaller ways to various colleagues and people over the years. I don't feel he can be trusted to put forward honest views on the UFO phenomenon. I think he should be out of the work. I think, again, he should do whatever he wants to make a living, but I will never trust him again. And where I am angry or feel You said betrayed really isn't the word. I think that Nick is such a dedicated person in terms of the career that he chose that nothing is more important to him and possibly even family than the safety and security of Her Majesty's government. And as the years passed from the time that he was there for us as a friend and a colleague who worked actively to make our book a bestseller, I should also say that our book came out within a week or so of his first book. So in doing so, he was actually helping us gain readers. And if somebody was going to decide to buy one book or the other, he was doing something extraordinarily um, giving or um, selfless. But I think as the years continued to pass and his position at the ministry um, Continued to grow, his responsibilities grew. He had second thoughts about having assisted us, and again, in a blowback way, to cause embarrassment to Her Majesty's government. The question for me comes down to three possibilities, uh, Gene and Chris. Number one, did he do this of his own volition to kind of level the karma there or to try to do something to uh, make up for? his part in helping our book become the success it became, or was he asked to do same, or was he ordered to? Now, yes, he is retired, but only an extremely naive person would assume.
2: Once a spook, always spooky. Maybe.
9: Maybe. There are jobs, there are positions that certain people never fully retire from. And it could be the CIA, MI6, the mob, MI5, you know, um, where there is a loyalty, where you are an asset in place, where you're a member of the old boys' network. Um, I can't figure out any other possibility. And because Nick is Nick, and takes his security oath as binding for life and he not i refers to his government masters as a phrase twice in their book which i thought was a rather shocking choice of words but he does see himself as subservient to his government masters and he did what he did not because he doesn't like me or larry in fact I think, and I have no way of knowing, he may, part of him may feel quite bad about this. Um, I think, I'd like to think that our friendship was valuable to him as well as to me.
1: You know, I want to bring something to the table here, something that happened a long, long time ago. (laughs) And I wonder if there's any connection in Mm -hmm. the overall sense of what was done, not in the individuals involved. Yeah. So we have this very famous book. From the 1950s UFO book, the report on UFOs, unidentified flying objects, from Edward Ruppelt. Oh yeah. Okay. The book came out in 1956, as I recall, and I was there at this particular point in time. I'm old as the hills. Oh, I know where you're going with this one, Gene. Okay. So now, two or three years later, and I think just about the point of his death, or after his death, and he was in his late 30s when he died of a heart condition. He comes out with a revised version of the book three more chapters yes at the end of those three chapters he concludes that after conveying the impression that he pretty much bought into ufos bought into the possibility of being interplanetary he now says using the words do you think ufos are real he uses this phrase and i think i got the quote almost perfect here and we'll go into more of this in the next segment the quote is I'm sure they don't. And it goes on to explain why he thinks UFOs are not real and are just conventional objects. Let me get into more of this in a moment. Peter Robbins joins us with Gene and Chris. You're in The Paracast.
4: You're listening to GCN, proudly sponsored by UnseenNow.com. Lock down your digital life at UnseenNow.com. This is GCN.
14: Did you know by age 50, half of all men have an enlarged prostate? This means more urges to urinate, longer bathroom trips, waking at night to urinate, or issues with sex. If this sounds familiar, call us now, because we're shipping free bottles of Super Beta Prostate to listeners of this station. Super Beta Prostate is a non-prescription formula guaranteed to reduce the symptoms of your enlarged prostate. It's yours free. Pay only shipping and handling. Just call 1-800-875-6415. In clinical trials, the ingredient in Super Beta Prostate was shown to reduce urges to urinate, improve bladder emptying, reduce waking at night to urinate, and improve quality of life. This Super Beta Prostate-free offer is for listeners of this station. But it won't last. Don't wait. Just call 1-800-875-6415. That's 1-800-875-6415. Call 1-800-875-6415.
16: breakfast lunch and dinner three square meals you'll need in an emergency so the freeze dry guys three square meal unit sale is just a ticket a variety pack of tasty nourishing breakfast lunch and dinner on sale now breakfast is freeze dry guys favorite hot oatmeal and sweet dehydrated bananas lunch is mountain house freeze dried hot macaroni and cheese and crisp green beans and dinner is mountain house long grain wild rice pilaf and hearty beef stew vegetables and gravy call freeze dry guy and ask for details on the 120 Twenty six serving three square meals unit. One case normally one sixty four thirty seven, sale price at only one thirty eight ninety. Save over twenty five bucks. Get two or three cases and save even more. Or ask about Freeze Dry Guy's Fall Chili Special. Always free shipping to the lower forty eight states. Call eight six six four oh four three six six three or click Freeze Dry and hurry. The Fall Chili Special and Three Square Meals Unit are on sale while supplies last. From the Freeze Dry Guy, the finest freeze dried and dehydrated foods available for
10: long term storage. Period. Alex Jones here. For the last two years I've been working with top doctors nutritionists and chemists to design a nutraceutical formulation that has truly life changing health benefits so many other formulations out there contain toxic ingredients, synthetic additives and even GMOs introducing the all new ancient defense herbal immunity blend crafted with over 14 key ancient herbs and extracts to supercharge and prepare your body for what experts admit is the most dangerous season of the year. We have rejected hundreds of other formulations in our quest to bring you what is simply the most powerful and comprehensive proprietary formula that we have ever created in the realm of herbal immunity. Experience the benefits of combining over 14 ancient herbs and extracts with exciting new advances in nutraceutical science. Now is the time to secure ancient defense for you and your family. Visit InfoWarsLife.com or call 1-888-253-3139. That's InfoWarsLife.com. Hello, this is John Burroughs, one of the witnesses to the Rendlesham UFO incident. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: So I'm talking here about the change around involving the late Edward Ruppelt and how that might relate to similar behavior, maybe on the part of Nick Pope. So in one of major Donald Kehoe's books, he mentions this sudden turnaround, where yeah. three chapters of the book contradicts the previous 20 or 25, yeah. and he says, quoting supposedly Captain Rupelt saying that he was under a lot of pressure from his Air Force masters yeah. to backtrack on having a best-selling book that basically demonstrated UFO reality, and this was the way he did it. So can we assume then that Nick Pope wrote this book with Penniston and Burroughs' help to basically cast aspersions on the Rendleship case to hide key information? Maybe the same thing that happened to RuPelt in the 50s?
9: I think there's a parallel to it. Um, I think you're spot on in in um, your opinion and perception uh, of why Rupelt redacted and changed and backed up. And, oh, gee, did I say they were real? No, they're really not real. This was a good and decent, you know, American Air Force officer um, pledged to the security of his country. And when the heat came down, he responded. By the same token, I don't think that Charles Halt is some evil person. I think there's pressure on him and always has been since Larry first out at him, there's no other way to say it, Larry was the one, Larry Warren, to put all those names on the record without their permission, going back to 1982. It certainly was not an asset to Mr. Holt's personal life or professional life. And I think Nick Pope was just responding either to um, self-assigned pressure or something actual. And I'm not, over dramatizing here. I think that he will always be proud to have a connection to the Ministry of Defense and his very distinguished career there. Also, be aware that unlike the Department of Defense, ministry officials have a full equivalent rank, military rank. And despite the fact that, you know, you meet Nick at a conference and um, he's very accessible and very down to earth, he's got a great sense of humor great guy to have a beer with. He is a lieutenant colonel in the British military and is now in that sense a retired lieutenant colonel on a full pension, I would hope, based on his long years of dedicated work. Also, be aware, why would he have helped us so much when he did? Well, our book was published in England in June of 1997, the 50th anniversary of Kenneth Arnold, the 50th anniversary of Roswell, a summer when the Western world went a little bit UFO crazy. And it would not surprise me that in those months, even the ministry was willing to cut slack and allow him to develop more of a presence in the UFO community, a world where he has been welcomed and where he has been, you know, a very well-known and respected figure and certainly developed many friendships and good colleagueships with various people. Um, But it was a funny window. Um, And again, perhaps a time when over-enthusiasm was the name of the game. Um, His first book, brilliant title, Open Skies, Closed Minds, was Simon and & Schuster. And that summer, my God, you couldn't walk down a street in London without seeing, you know, say every sixth big red bus going by with a huge broadside of it or huge ads in the underground. It was a very well-promoted book. And his presence as a ufologist, as somebody who was a official who was allowed to speak about this, was impossible to ignore.
1: So basically, he was the British Edward Ruppelt.
9: Well, yes. Now, one thing that I have always agreed (laughs) to disagree on was I have always felt that, I forget the exact designation, Air Desk AS2 or something like that, Nick always um, said that this was the position. He was the person in the government who looked into these things for those two years. And when he left, the next person was that person, and so on. My feeling was, and I'm not alone in it, that there are certainly other individuals whose names that we don't know, who are cleared to know a great deal more than him, or were more deeply involved in the investigation, or had higher security clearances. His position, to a degree, was public relations, although um, I don't mean to say that in a way that's condescending. He was the front man, the person they put forward by name, who then really ran with that. I mean, he has referred to himself in promotional ways as the real life Fox Mulder for many years. And, you know, more power to him in a way he was. But I wanted people to read my book so that they could make their own best decision about my allegations. Again, I feel I've done some of the best investigative work I've ever done. I also resented having to write it, I felt compelled to. It was not something that I willingly would have wanted to do. And in fact, if anybody would have suggested before the fact that I would write a book about a book about this subject, I should also say here that although I don't feel at all that Jim and John were involved in this deception or even aware of it, that there are questions that come up here and a few new developments that you might not be aware of. As recently as this past summer, um, John Burroughs, blew a lot of our minds by saying, number one, I don't trust Nick Pope anymore. Number two, I never saw Jim Penniston touch that craft. I don't remember seeing the craft. And in fact, his dates, his timing is wrong. Also, considering that this whole binary code download into his head, which has now become, I think, um, a shiny object, something to take our attention away. From yeah, yeah I was going to ask you about that. And the allegation that time travelers from the future, and that is the phrase that he uses, chose him of anyone else in humanity. To give this coded message to of thousands of ones and zeros. I had never even heard the term binary code because I'm not a computer person until he first used it in a public forum. Now, Nick opens the chapter on the code by saying, for 30 years, Jim Peniston kept a secret. Well, He really didn't. He talked about it as early as 1994 in an hypnotic regression. And he even says in the book, and I'm paraphrasing here ever so slightly how could I, 24 hours later, sitting in my room, copy out these several thousands of 16 pages, I think, of ones and zeros? How does he know that the message is from time travelers from the future? Because they told him. Now, the coded message is kind of, for me, um, sort of a, well, it is longitude and latitudes allegedly for a number of very mystical or high-energy locations in the world, including locations in Greece, China, a mythical sunken island off the coast of Ireland, and Sedona, Arizona. Um, John Burroughs... Mm, where John Burroughs lives now, Um, Jim maintains that this is not open to discussion. And over the several years since he made this public, and I should say he did not make it public for 30 years. And I was there when he did at a conference marking the 30th anniversary in Woodbridge, Suffolk, England. John Burroughs let us know that the first time Jim even mentioned this to him or that he had any inkling of it, was October 2010, almost 30 years after it happened. And this with the person who was with him when it happened? There are so many things that make no sense about it. I make what I feel is an extremely compelling and reasoned argument in deliberate deception that it was not time travelers who put this notion into Jim Penniston's head. It was a highly sophisticated one of probably a number of highly sophisticated disinformation operations that sit in abeyance waiting for deployment in the event of a significant military UFO incident. What it does, and let's let's backtrack for a moment. We live in a world right now that even if you're a total skeptic or debunker, if you study the information for this truly anomalous series of events that happened in England in 1980, you are compelled to think, well, If there are UFOs, then this would certainly be a qualifying event. We are living in a society where more and more people are open to this possibility. But when you inject time travelers from our future, and again, who am I to say definitively that it wasn't or that time travel isn't possible? I have my doubts about it. But then it becomes something much more sensationalistic, much more theatrical, much more um, uniquely. interesting to those who long for something like this to be the case
1: let me tell you what's going to be the case well i don't want to get into that but let's (laughs) they call me a mental case actually speaking of cases we have peter robbins with gene and chris you're in the Paracast.
4: great minds think alive Network for the independent-minded. The Genesis Communications Network,
13: GCN. This is Dan Pillot. Do you have the IRS money you can't pay? Are tax debts crippling you? I've defended people from the IRS for over thirty years. I've helped thousands, and I can help you too. I wrote the book on IRS settlement, and I'm telling you, there's no such thing as a hopeless case. Call 34 No Tax to finally get free of IRS debt. With the IRS's new programs, there's never been a better time to solve your problem. Call 800-34-NO-TAX, that's 800-34-NO-TAX, or my website, danpilla.com.
8: On Facebook, on the news, and in conversations with friends, we're bombarded every day with advice on how to be healthier, from gluten-free and non-GMO diets to how much exercise and sleep the body needs. But how much have you heard about alkalizing the body? AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops are a holistic and natural way to get your body's pH levels back in balance. Just a few drops in water will help your body rid itself of harmful waste, and even the healthiest of diets can be complemented with your daily use of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops. Who isn't looking for more vibrance, vigor, and energy? Now buy two bottles of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops and get $10 off your order. Visit alcavision.com or call 800-518-7615. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops are packed with a powerful combination of the most alkaline minerals and compounds. Open the door to greater health, vitality, and zest for life. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health. Call 800-518-7615 or head to AlkaVision.com
5: welcome
0: back to the paracast the gold standard of paranormal radio and now here's Gene steinberg
1: all right we're continuing with our discussion of that free book Peter Robbins wrote for Phenomena Magazine, Deliberate Deception, a case of disinformation in the UFO research community. But let me kind of cut to the chase here, too, Peter. By putting in all these red herrings, misleading information, all this, what is the end result? Is Nick Pope casting doubt upon the event or just confusing us about it? Where is his end game? Couldn't he just say, I don't believe it, and that's it?
9: He could, but I think you got it. I think he is, um, stirring the pot. He is, um, adding layers of possible confusion to the story. In his chapter about the binary code, my sense was seeing him with a very straight face, looking at every single possibility. Is it a code within a code? He asks every question except for me the most obvious one. He never once even suggests or insinuates that there's even a possibility that this is a deception. And Nick is a smart guy. And he, of all people working in the field that he worked in for his entire professional life, that is... A conscious omission. That's not like, oh, gee, I forgot to include that possibility. He is very sanctimonious and very kind of chin-rubbing and serious all throughout this chapter, never once acknowledging even the possibility that Jim has been deceived, and he knows better. For me, his job, so to say, is to draw attention to a very sensational and very remote possibility and put literally all of the focus on it. Time travelers from our future were responsible for this series of events in the UK. Let's look hard at that and let's get that translated and, you know, maybe it will be a message to save humanity. For me, it is all patently obvious that this is part of the deception take down as much as possible, discredit as much as possible a uniquely valuable book with something like, oh, I get, I, we have several hundred sources that we drew from in our nine years of research. Nick doesn't have a single footnote or an annotation. He doesn't have a bibliography. There's no reading list. You simply have to take his word for everything. The index is woefully missing certain key subjects that are in the book, but are not in the index. It is not a good piece of research. It is more a pop cultural kind of treatment of the subject. Again, we took almost a decade. They took 14 months. And there is nothing new in the book the appendices shows the scans of the 16 pages of ones and zeros it has i think three documents none of which are electrifying one or two other things it has two drawings no photographs it's not much of a book i'm sorry to say and A lot of us were very disappointed because we hoped it would show more. We hoped it would give more. The events of the first night are very important. But again, John Burroughs, who was right there. And I should also say for any of your listeners who know about the long and contentious relationship between Pennison and Burroughs and Warren, it no longer exists between John Burroughs and Larry Warren. They are now friends. They spoke together on the stage of a conference just this past September in Woodbridge, England. They are now sharing information. John is completely out of any interest of working with Jim Pennison or Nick Pope again, and he had some very compelling reasons for doing so. You know, Jim's story really is falling apart as far as I'm concerned, and especially if it's reflected in the statements key statements. And anybody that wants can check it out for themselves on John Burroughs' Facebook page or contact him directly to find out if what I'm saying is accurate.
1: You know, listening to you, I'm getting the impression here that this entire house of cards of Rendlesham falls apart as a result of Nick's book. So let me ask you, since you came out with your, shall we say, rebuttal to it, because I guess that in part is what it is, what has his response been?
9: There hasn't been a response. In fact. As I think I mentioned to you when we first spoke about my returning to the show, I have asked literally every radio host or producer whose show I've been asked to appear on about this book to invite Nick or Jim or John. Not so much John anymore now because we're pretty much in agreement, Um, or Charles Hall. Nick has turned down every single invitation to do so and will continue to. And I don't blame him because even in a moderated, civilized session, and it would certainly be that, I have no desire to uh, have a fight with him in a public forum as much as to air our differences. He is never going to face me in a public forum because he would lose. He would lose very badly. I don't think that the case is falling apart at all. In fact, I think it's being strengthened because of what is coming out as a result of reactions to this deception. I will also add that although the written part of deliberate deception, even with Colin Andrews' very powerful um, epilogue, is under 100 pages, but the book is 450 pages. And the reason for that is because over the past 26 years, I have collected, along with my co-author, arguably certainly one of the largest databases on the subject. And before Steve Mira had um, published the book for us in the UK, I had a talk with Larry Warren about adding Several hundred pages of the documents that we collected, documents, letters, uh, military memoranda, maps, drawings, every kind of communication possible. Um, I think 50 pages of photos. And again, we are making nothing on this. All I'm doing is putting into the record and making available to anyone. As well as my commentary, the largest database of Rendlesham related information ever released and probably ever will be released anywhere, and that probably includes the British government. What I invite people to do is read what I have to say, read Encounter in Rendlesham Forest if you want to see if I'm exaggerating or in any way inaccurate or in any way um, being disrespectful to them or their research, and then spend the weeks, and it will take weeks, to go through all of the information that we have collected. I think even people who are knowledgeable in ufology and very aware of this case will be quite shocked at some of the information that we have put out there. I I see it as the equivalent of a legal case. If after reading it, after reviewing it, you feel that I have Establish the points that I set out to beyond any reasonable doubt in legal terms, then please share it with others. And if you are at a conference or in a call in situation, um, at an event, or on a program that Nick Pope is taking part in, for your own curiosity, ask him questions that are easily accessible in that book. He should be called to account on this. You don't lie about other people's work in this and then make believe that, you know, you're telling the truth. It's not, it's completely unethical is what it is. And again, if I sound um, in any way uh, small minded here or um, unobjective, then all I can say is read it for yourself. Uh, Again, I am profiting in no way from this. I gave away 700 hours of work. This has been an awful financial year for me, and in part because I dedicated almost half of it to writing the best manuscript that I could with respect to people who I really do respect. Jim and John went through something awful. Um, and I'm not talking about the event, but what was they were put through after the fact, like Larry Warren, but nobody more than Jim Pennison.
1: Let's break it here and we'll go into more yeah. of that. Yeah, We have Peter Robbins here. We're talking about... This new book, an e-book, free in seven parts with a very long appendix with lots of extra material. Deliberate deception, a case of disinformation in the UFO research community. With Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast. Neighbors, are you tired of dealing with a slow web hosting provider? Well, check out
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: Peter Robbins joins us, and we're going to try to figure out deliberate deception about the disinformation he charges on the part of Nick Pope. Have you talked or had any communication with Nick Pope since your book came out?
9: You know, I haven't. I think it's rather poignant that I guess a week or two before I began to read the book. Nick and I exchanged emails, as we have, for many years. And one of the things I always liked about Nick is he's got a great sense of humor. And we both have enjoyed, um, as the British say, taking the mickey out of each other uh, for many years. And he wrote me an email on a day that he knew I was still in uh, winter up here in Ithaca, New York, um, about the 80-degree weather and how lovely it was in his garden. And it was, you know, this is part of the fun of that kind of sense of humor. But as I started to read the book, and I thought back on even just that brief exchange that we had had, he had already written all of these untruths. And I thought, good Lord, I could call him right now. I could call him after the show. And what am I going to say? Why did you do it? I don't think he'll answer me. Am I going to call him and call him names? Of course not. Again, this is a unique situation. I don't take it personally. I don't know how that sounds to you, but this isn't personal. Nick was doing what he felt he had to do, either of his own volition or because he was asked to or because he was ordered to. If he was somebody who was not so dedicated to the safety and security of his country if he had not been such a loyal employee of the Ministry of Defense. And again, in his terminology, his government masters, yeah, maybe I would take it personally. I guess my only regret in terms of besides the amount of time I had to take to write something I found very distasteful, but just very important, is that I really valued our friendship. And I'd like to think that he did as well, And that's gone now. I'm a very lucky guy in that I have a lot of real friendships, but I worked at it. God knows you don't make money in this work, but I am very wealthy in terms of friends all over this country and to a degree all over the world. You guys know you meet some remarkable people in this work. And although, you know, Chris and I hardly got to spend any time together in Arizona, it was a great connection. And, you know, I'm just the beginning of yet one more wonderful colleagueship in the work. And Gene, you and I have known each other at a distance for years, but I'm sorry for Nick. More and more people will read this work and more and more people will ask him about it or not trust him.
1: You know, I want to ask you that too. Doing what you say he's done here, Mm. how must he feel having done this feeling that In a sense, he is betraying close friends. He is confusing people. He may be alienating some people as a result. What must his reaction be? Or as you say, he's the good soldier. He does what he wants, what he must do for queen and country. But then the other question here is, would he feel that when being called a disinformation agent, he has to strike back at some point legally, get back to you and say, you can't do this. Here's my lawyer. Or does he stay silent?
9: Well, as far as trying to take legal action against me, I invite him to give it his best shot. There's no way it's going to happen. Number one, it would only cause more people to have their attention drawn to the cause of his protest, which would fall apart very quickly on a careful reading of what I have written. Again, you guys know, you've read it or parts of it. It is incredibly specific, and I use only their own words and statements and actions to call attention, negative and positive. And there are some positive comments throughout the book, no question. Now, I would never dream of saying, I know what Nick is feeling. I I don't know. But I'll tell you what I would deduce. I think he is a sensitive guy, and I think he is a decent guy. And I think that he is probably hurting about this. And in a perfect world, I think he probably would much rather have not done what he did. That is purely my own subjective feeling. I can't prove it. I can't back it up. If I'm wrong, so be it. I don't think he's a bad person or an evil person. I think he's doing what he feels he has to do or what he was asked to do or what he was ordered to do.
1: Chris, you have some questions
2: from listeners? Not specifically on Rendlesham. We do have one question here from a new sign up at forum.theparacast.com. Uh, he calls himself Everything We Know Is Wrong. <laughs> Interesting <laughs> uh, <laughs> avatar name. But I, I agree wanted- with him. (laughs) not everything (laughs) he's wondering about getting larry to appear with uh with peter on a show here in the future and uh i'm just wondering does larry uh still do uh radio shows or talk about the case
9: He absolutely does. Also be aware, though, that since the year 2000, Larry has been a resident of Liverpool, England. He is a true expatriate. So um, there are times when, um, especially for live broadcasts, where it's just prohibitive for one or the other of us to be involved because of a work commitment or the time or what have you. But, yeah, that's certainly possible. Absolutely.
1: uh, Let me say this. We have the capability of calling him wherever he is in the world. And we're happy to do it, and we're happy to spend a few pennies a minute, which is what Skype charges sure. to make an outgoing call. If he yeah, has we've Skype. We've definitely had Larry on the show. We've had uh, Jim and and I think John. We been haven't on had Jim stuff. on yeah. the phone. We've had John Burroughs, of course. We had John with you on one of the episodes of the podcast. Oh Cast, yes, Peter,
9: absolutely. Sure. And in fact, um, I mean, I'd be happy. I'm always glad to work with Larry. He's not just my co-author. He is one of my dearest friends. He's somebody I hold in tremendous esteem. He's one of the greatest guys uh, I think I've ever met he is a tough no nonsense absolutely world class figure and and every man at the same time as interesting a show and in some ways even more interesting because we've been paired up for a quarter of a century would be a show with Larry and John Burroughs who for decades John attacked Larry's credibility, and now is standing with him, and vice versa. Uh,
1: Well, you just booked the show, Peter. (laughs) So what we can do here is have... I'd be
9: happy to be back with any of these players again. Yeah,
2: we've had Charles Holt on the show uh, last year, actually.
9: Charles Hall, I think, also would never appear on a show with me because I, well, if you read my chapter on him, he has been extremely deceptive and played people against each other. And he is the only person who has ever told, as far as I'm concerned, outright fabrications about me in books and print. And I don't think he'd go up against me in a live forum at this point. Well,
2: he was one of the toughest guests we've ever had because I've never had so many... Single or two word
9: answers. Uh, I, oh to, to... boy, I agree. I wouldn't want to play um, poker with the guy. I'll tell you what. <laughs> he has got one of the most implacable faces I've ever seen. And again, um, Charles Halt is an honorably retired United States Air Force officer who served in Vietnam, who, um, again, was both a witness um, and part of the establishment in terms of this case. And there is no question in my mind, any more than my um, pondering about Nick, that the position that Halt has taken with regard to my co-author has been influenced Higher up the food chain, it's not purely um, something that you know he puts forward without any impetus.
1: Let's get on with another segment of the show with mm-hmm. Peter Robbins, Jean, and Chris. You're in the Paracast.
4: You're listening to GCN, proudly sponsored by UnseenNow.com. Lock down your digital life at UnseenNow.com. This is GCN.
10: Alex Jones here. For the last two years I've been working with top doctors nutritionists and chemists to design a nutraceutical formulation that has truly life changing health benefits so many other formulations out there contain toxic ingredients, synthetic additives and even GMOs introducing the all new ancient defense herbal immunity blend crafted with over 14 key ancient herbs and extracts to supercharge and prepare your body for what experts admit is the most dangerous season of the year. We have rejected hundreds of other formulations in our quest to bring you what is simply the most powerful and comprehensive proprietary formula that we have ever created in the realm of herbal immunity. Experience the benefits of combining over 14 ancient herbs and extracts with exciting new advances in nutraceutical science. Now is the time to secure ancient defense for you and your family. Visit InfoWarsLife.com or call 1-888-253-3139. That's InfoWarsLife.com.
5: You can't afford to wait. So call 866-91-STEEL. Lock in your price now. Call 866-91-STEEL. That's 866-917-8335. This is Jerome
10: Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other
3: books. You're listening to the Paracast.
1: Okay, so we're going to depend on you to set this up. Larry Warren, John Burroughs, Peter Robbins on the Paracast. Peter, you've got your assignment. Whoa, Should you decide whoa, to God. accept it? And this First message...
9: First John, although I think he agrees with my work overall, and he initiated a facebook friendship some months ago which you know might not sound like a big deal but was in that it was something that would have never happened before his sort of game change but I, even at the very beginning of the book, I come down very hard on John, and it is literally always because of statements that he makes about Larry before he kind of crossed over into Larry's territory and became friends and colleagues, where he said things that were incredibly inaccurate, mean spirited, mocking, and sarcastic. And I include many of them in the book and call him on them. And I think understandably there's some hurt feelings here i think you guys would be better um at approaching John right now than me or Larry would. I'll certainly be happy to contact Larry and find out if he'd want to do the show and invite John. And if it's okay with John, of course I'd be glad to be uh, a guest on the show as well. You know, again, we're dealing with very human issues here as well as the most important damn case that I've ever been involved in.
1: You know, this is part and parcel of the UFO field in general that you have backbiting, ill-will, personal attacks. And all of it, of course, gets in the way of figuring out what really is going on. And you have people who switch sides. They're your friend. They're not your friend. And I've seen that in the years we've had the PowerCast. We started the show in 2006. It's now eight years later. It's going to be nine years in just a few weeks where some of the people – that I counted on as friends, are no longer friends. They have other alignments. And I've seen that in the UFO field for several decades. And with all that nonsense going on, and in large part, it is nonsense, how do we get down to the mystery of this? We're seeing here, just with Rendlesham, a very complicated series of events. We have different loyalties and different viewpoints. And now we have the situation regarding Nick Pope and your book about it. How do we sit together and find out what's really going on? Because in the end, we're not important. It's about the mystery.
9: That's right. That's right. It does have to get beyond the personalities. It's one of the reasons where I went to such lengths to lay out the undeniable and laboratory-confirmed physical evidence involved in the third night's event that Larry Warren was involved in. The physical evidence surrounding that encounter is more and better than the entire cumulative other scientific evidences for the whole case, as far as I'm concerned, that have been contributed by many good and decent and courageous investigators and researchers over the decades. And very, very briefly, the spot, and I don't mean a spot near, I mean the exact spot that Larry identified for me well before our first visit to England, and I think my last visit in um, August was like my 25th trip over, the soil that was drawn from that spot and then control samples from further out in the farmer's field where that event happened confirmed, among other things, the following, that the soil Where this thing had sat had lost its ability to uh, integrate with water and become mud. Water literally rolled off of the soil. It looks very different under an electron scanning microscope. The color of it is different to the human eye, although, our laboratory analyst, who is a real person, who I stay in touch with even all these years later, he still works at a laboratory in Massachusetts. His name is Matthew Moniz, and he has done other analysis over the years, a great deal now of other anomalous materials associated with UFO and crop circle uh, evidence, that the metallic, tiny metallic particles that appear in this particular soil in this part of England are more than four times the amount in the affected area than in the control samples, which he could only deduce the result of a very powerful electromagnetic effect. Seed germination tests using affected soil and control sample soils show control samples, the seeds that they used grew at a normal rate and became just what they should. Repeatedly in the affected sample, it took considerably longer for the plant to come to fruition and it was always his term, a mutant form. Of the original plant. Uh, Maybe more dramatic than anything because this occurred five or six miles from the coast. So one would expect a certain component of sand in the soil, which there certainly is. In the control samples, it was normal. In the affected sample, there was no sand. It was reduced to silica, an interim form of glass. The sand had melted at that spot. Now, superimpose upon this, Larry's actual reaction, which I recorded as that area came into view for him for the first time since the event had occurred eight years and two months earlier, his reaction on audio tape is really very dramatic and subjected to voice stress analysis shows genuine emotion. Um, Also, the fact that I have two maps that he marked the location on well before we visited there, one of them many years before. Well, what can I say? Um, This is not anecdotal. This is very physical. And for many years, John and Jim... Um, And Halt certainly had said, Larry's event never occurred. It was induced. It was a mental aberration. It was put into his head. He was the Manchurian candidate. Well, the irony there is that it seems that Jim is the one who is walking around with a totally false memory in his head of time travelers from the future. Choosing him among humanity to give this long coded message to. And the human mind is an amazing thing. I guess under certain circumstances, although I don't know what they would be, it's not impossible for somebody 24 hours after they, if indeed that is the sequence, given information in terms of thousands of zeros and ones in a certain order to just copy them out into a notebook. Also. A year ago, October, Charles Halt, who has played both sides against the middle, made it very clear that he saw Penniston's notebook quite a number of times over the years and never once saw any pages with ones and zeros on them. And now they're back together again. You know, um, there's something very wrong here as far as this whole matrix of time travel claims. And now that John Burroughs has come forward only in these past months to confirm that he never saw, he has no memory of Jim touching the craft, of seeing the craft, and Jim never told him about it for almost 30 years. I mean, I I find that harder to believe than some people find UFOs and their implications hard to believe.
2: Oh, boy. (laughs) I noticed that uh, one of the photographs in the uh, in your new book yeah. of the actual spot that Larry identified, I mean, you Pretty can dramatic, tell that, that there's some problem with the soil there, because uh, <laughs> I think, I forget how long afterwards, it was nine or ten years, yeah, I believe, you're, uh, you're nothing, right nothing would grow there. there.
9: Exactly. When when we first went out there, it was eight years and two months, and we could see a discoloration in the field on the spot where it sat, which Larry calls to attention on the audio tape that I had that recorder going all the time for years when we were together, and then saying, "But of course, that's a coincidence." And the way I had trained myself, I didn't say, "Oh my God, a trace case." I mean, it's more than eight years. It was yeah. There there is a coincidence, a pretty wild one.
1: I'll tell you what. Was- we have a wild break here and then we'll get back with more wild stuff in our final segment with peter robbins and gene and chris you're in the Paracast.
4: not just an alternative to the mainstream media we're the premier independent talk radio network we are g c n attack of the rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike
0: it's a thrill a minute story you'll never forget
14: Did you know by age 50, half of all men have an enlarged prostate? This means more urges to urinate, longer bathroom trips, waking at night to urinate, or issues with sex. If this sounds familiar, call us now. Because we're shipping free bottles of Super Beta Prostate to listeners of this station. Super Beta Prostate is a non-prescription formula guaranteed to reduce the symptoms of your enlarged prostate. It's yours free. Pay only shipping and handling. Just call 1-800-875-6415. In clinical trials, the ingredient in Super Beta Prostate was shown to reduce urges to urinate, improve bladder emptying, reduce waking at night to urinate, and improve quality of life. This Super Beta Prostate-free offer is for listeners of this station. But it won't last. Don't wait. Just call 1-800-875-6415. That's 1-800-875-6415. Call 1 800 875 6415.
20: Do you have relatives and friends that are convinced there is no need ever to prepare for any kind of emergency? Are these also folks you buy Christmas presents for? At 30dayfoodsupply.com we can solve both of these problems at the same time. Go to 30dayfoodsupply.com or call 541-229-0010. We can ship your Christmas presents directly to them. Choose from our original $99 30-day food supply, our long-term storage vegan burger mixes, and other oatmeal, soups, porridges, beans, and granolas for everyday use. All products are non-gmo msg free and vegetarian most are gluten soy and nut free call 541-229-0010 today oregon trail foods and 30dayfoodsupply.com keep prices low cutting out the middleman by buying directly from their producers in oregon remember only ten dollars ships your entire order to the lower 48 visit the website 30dayfoodsupply.com call 541-229-0010 30dayfoodsupply.com 541-229-0010
7: Hello, this is Rosemary Ellen Guiley, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: Peter Robbins joins us with Gene and Chris in the Paracast, and he has a free ebook for you to download. And we're going to have the links at our forum at forum.theparacast.com and on our site so you can check it out or check out Phenomena magazine. It's called Deliberate Deception, A Case of Disinformation in the UFO Research Community.
9: Well, let me just first conclude a thought from our previous section, which is, you're absolutely right. That photographic series that I took in June of 1990, so we're now nine and a half years after, where you see an entire field that's gone fallow, it's hay, it's yellow, except for on that exact same large oval spot, it is bright green. How is that possible? Well, it verifies the laboratory results. It took longer for things to come to fruition in that affected area. And even that long after, And I have to say, I went back again the next year, this time after consulting with the laboratory. I went back with two quart containers, carefully labeled. I collected soil from the affected area, from the edge, control samples from out in the field, and then had the unique experience of bringing in 15 or 20 pounds of dirt from a UFO-labeled site through security at JFK Airport, <laughs> which was very entertaining in retrospect. But uh, Excuse me, Mr. Happening.
2: Robbins, what's in the jars?
9: <laughs> oh, my, exactly. Um, I had to declare it. It said soil. I thought, no, I'm not going to. And then I thought, damn, if I don't, somebody is going to call me on this, a better researcher's gonna get into the State Department's records they're gonna see that I committed a felony I brought dirt in illegally I could have poisoned all the crops in America I've got to check it and the official he just you know we went took me to a little room what is this for oh it's for a book I'm researching what do you mean oh it's something that has to do with something that happened to my co-author what happened to your co-author back and forth back and forth until I finally just had to say oh well he feels that it was involved some kind of UFO. Thank you very much. Me and my dirt are locked in the room for a series of minutes. He returns with three other security people. This was before they called it the TSA. I forget, talking about 94 or so. And they're all business. They peer at the containers and the lead guy says, tell us, quote unquote. I look at him and I say. Tell you what. He said, Tell us the story about the UFO. <laughs> and 15 minutes later, good luck to you and Larry. The name of the book is You Left at East Gate. We'll be looking out for it. And the final question before I left was, You're not going to open this, are you? And I immediately visualized him seeing all the martian germs escaping into jfk airport no no it's going out fedex tomorrow and so it did and the results are now published but that was entertaining again as they say in retrospect not when it was happening
1: well you see right now what's would happen peter is they'd say first take off your shoes
9: (laughs) (laughs) ah yeah i guess they might and uh, assume the position it's (laughs) been a long strange trip but i'll tell you what it is a privilege To be involved in this work. I think we're all doing our best here to do important work and to get to the bottom of the most biting mystery since whenever. There is an array of forces against us doing everything it can to make us look like outsiders or mystics or crazy people or people who want to feel special. That's always been one of my favorites. And so on. And we're fighting a good fight here and doing our best. But boy, the wrenches keep coming at us.
2: Oh, yeah. Ain't that the truth? I know. I know the feeling. I, I mean, I I worked twenty years on my last book that just yeah. came out, and you know, a solid eighteen months of writing. And and it's yeah. like, thank you very much. Uh, what else are you working on?
9: <laughs> By the way, Chris, I think it has uh, one of the most brilliant covers I have seen in a long time. Oh, thank you. I, I- it's a knockout and I'm sorry that you disappeared so I know quickly. I felt so bad having
2: to leave i I, know. I really wanted to hang around and it
9: was a very fascinating talk man and I, I will read that book but I want to get it from you
2: okay oh you you got one you got one <laughs> yeah but, uh, here's a question here before yeah. we lose you peter uh, and yeah. this is a good question yeah you know we've been skirting around this issue of the possibility of of disinformation uh, coming from highly placed sources within uh, within the government, uh, in this case Nick, Nick Pope possibly in, in in the UK, but a question here from Namor, who's one of our posters at forumabouttheparacast.com, he's wondering if government disinformation campaigns in the UFO field are designed for counterintelligence against other countries, are they also used for other purposes too, such as a form of social engineering to influence populations toward a specific agenda and do these black propaganda campaigns pains have more than one function. I think that's a really interesting question, and this might be a really a good example of how that possibility could actually exist.
9: Well, I agree with you. I think it's an outstanding question. And I'd be naive if I suggested that I didn't think it was the case. Of course, it's a possibility and a good one. And why not take advantage of this incredibly loaded subject, which a percentage of probably every national population is fascinated by, if not obsessed with, if not dedicated to, to do a little bit of social engineering or create a situation they can study. And calibrate, which of course bureaucrats love. You know, I find it
2: very interesting that that academia absolutely has uh, blinders on for the most part. Even if, for instance, just to give you a you know, for instance, even if the cattle mutilation mystery is total a non-issue, that it's all let's say scavenger action and, and misidentified natural. Yeah, with uh, lasers. And- the fact that people believe it should have already. I would think people should have turned out many doctoral dissertations in sociology examining the belief in a particular mystery and in this case uh, one that has you know thousands of pounds of physical evidence left behind and yet we don't see a single doctoral thesis
9: uh, in in that you know particular. why it's fear of ridicule plain and simple I did uh, my own study years ago on the origins of the ridicule factor and I spent uncharted amounts of time going into the um, newspaper morgue of the New York Times. This is all pre-digital. I found and printed out every single article, editorial, political cartoon, commentary, letter to the editor that had ever been published by the New York Times on this subject. I completed the project years later digitally, and I'm the only person that you will probably ever meet that has read every one of them in order repeatedly to deduce a pattern of reportage. And it hit the ground running in early July of 1947. It was as the flagship newspaper of the Western world. It was picked up by the other print journalists and by broadcast journalists, Uh, again at the time, ABC, NBC, CBS. And that ridicule factor remains incredibly powerful. For what it's worth, I observe that now, today, more and more people care less and less about what other people think about what they think about the UFO phenomena. But it's still changing one, two, seven people at a time. It's not some mass movement. And short of V-type scenario where we wake up in the morning and there are a giant honking mile across you know, UFOs over the 60 biggest cities in the world, game over, I can't imagine. We are never going to disclose what we know. Our country is so dedicated to keeping the secrets in part because to admit 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 it would be to admit that every American president, even symbolically in their roles, be they on the left, right, conservative Democrat, is an unindicted co-conspirator in the greatest lie of all times. And they are more loyal to themselves than they are to us.
1: Peter Robbins, please tell our listeners where they can find more of the things that you do.
9: Right now, a new website is being built, but for any of your listeners who are on Facebook, friend me there. I post everything that I'm doing, including great radio interviews like this, and we will let folks know as soon as this is ready to broadcast. I try to keep up with all my correspondence, even if I'm slow. Look for me at a conference near you in the not-too-distant future.
1: You can also find more of the things we do, especially our new premium service, at plus.theparacast.com, P-L-U-S.theparacast.com. If you sign up, five bucks a month, $50 a year, you get an ad-free version of The Paracast and a new exclusive podcast called After The Paracast, so you'll hear more commentary about this episode. Wow, you certainly will. We're going to be doing that, and it's going to be fascinating and only available to people who sign up for Paracast Plus at plus.theparacast.com. Chris O'Brien's site is ourstrangeplanet.com. And by the way, we're giving away a free copy of Chris O'Brien's Secrets of the Mysterious Valley to sign up for the Paracast newsletter at theparacast.com. Peter Robbins, thanks for joining us on the Paracast.
9: It was a pleasure being on the air with you. And for anybody that would like to know more about my work, just go to YouTube, Google my name with the word, the letters UFO, and you'll get thousands of hits.